Hello there, welcome to Talent and Growth. I am your host, Paul Church. As always, I'm also the co-founder of the Anemo Group. We are a flexible talent acquisition solution. And today we're talking quality of hire, the elusive quality of hire. And this is a replay of our roundtable discussion earlier this week with Jonathan Durnford-Smith, Joey Coxall, Caitlin Ingham, and it's um, really interesting because, look, it's tough. This is a tough thing to nail. We all want that formula, that blueprint. I, I, I always want, what's the actual solution here? What's the method I follow? And it's difficult to nail that with quality of hire because it's subjective and it differs from company to company, department to department, as we talk about today. But I think we've done a really good job, or rather my guest did a really good job. I was, only, I was just mediating. But our guest did a really good job laying out what the guidelines should be if you're looking to really measure that quality of hire in your business. So let me know what you think. I'd be really interested to know what you think of this conversation, but also what you think about quality of hire. Drop me a note, paul at the anemogroup.com. It's a, it's a really fascinating topic, uh, but I hope you enjoy this week's conversation. Here it is, quality of hire. And good afternoon. Welcome to our Talent and Growth Roundtable discussion. Uh, this is our weekly webinar uh, where we get three experts in to talk about a certain topic, throw some ideas around. Hopefully we will come away from the conversation a little bit smarter and knowing our topic a little bit better and hopefully being able to do our jobs a little bit better as well. Um, this week we are talking about quality of hire. What is it? Does it exist? The elusive quality of hire. I think it's a really interesting topic. Certainly one that a lot of people are talking about this year in particular, I think. Um, I think there's a lot lots of different ways to, to look at it and dissect it and certainly we'll get some advice on that today from our panel so um i'm paul church as hopefully you know if you're tuning in because you've probably seen me before um but let's just go around and get some intros from our guests so jonathan who are you what do you do i had a feeling you pick on me first of all thank you um so yeah i'm uh, jonathan Burton smith i'm a, a portfolio talent partner at Oxford centers um, so my role is essentially working with um, founders at early stages from pre-seed the whole way through to series B on how they do and tackle anything to do with people and talent from growth to board level conversations and, and everything in between. Uh, my background previous to this is predominantly in recruiting, um, previously at DeepMind for three and a half years. Um, and then before that was at, at Quantum Black um, for just over three and a half years as well. Um, so that is me. Very good to be here today. Fantastic. Thanks, Jonathan. Caitlin, over to you. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I'm the Talent Acquisition Manager here at Lunio. We're a SaaS business operating in the MarTech space. Um, so we work with a lot of businesses. Any business with an online presence would benefit from working with those and using our product. Um, I've been here for coming up to a year now, which is scary. A lot's happened in that year. But prior to that, I've worked for some small boutique agencies and then also um, a really big um, household name, Reed. Um, I was there for three, just over three years. Um, so, so yeah, excited to be here. Thank you very much, Kaylin. And last but not least, Joey. Hi, everyone. I'm Joey Cuxall. I'm based in the Netherlands, not in England. Um, uh, I'm, I'm currently a global talent acquisition manager for a company called EV Box. We are specialized on and, uh, the electric uh, chargers for the electric cars, and we are the leading company in Europe and other areas as well. Uh, I mean, I look after the global team from US to Europe and certain areas. And, um, you know, I, I do in and out every day dealing with the, everything Kathleen and Jonathan mentioned. So, Anything aspect of talent acquisition or anything related to that, uh, this is what I do at EVWorks. <laughs> My man, thank you very much, Joey. Great to have you here. Um, and to the audience, if you are tuning in live via the webinar, uh, please feel free to ask any questions or give a commentary. You know, if this is almost a subjective topic, so absolutely keen to hear uh, any ideas the audience may have. And of course, if you're catching up on the podcast, like many people do, thanks for tuning in as well. Caitlin, this uh, topic came about, I think, when we had a chat a few months ago, and we thought we, you know, you, you suggested this as an area to talk about, and I thought, yeah, absolutely, we've not, I've not gone into this metric, if you want to call it that, in detail on this show. So um, let's start with you. Um, how would you define quality of hire for you, and what, why, why do you think, or well, do you think it's an important metric, and, and why, if so? 
Yeah, I th- yeah, I think it is an important metric and it's something that we are in the process of implementing here at Lunio. The reason I think so is because I think it differentiates in-house um, talent managers from a recruitment consultant. So when I was working in an agency, it was all about getting past that rebate period. And that's how I knew if I'd done a good job. Um, whereas here, it's like you want to the person that you hire is going to be your employee so that you need to get on with them and assess them culturally. Are they a culture ad and are they going to kind of contribute to the the wider business? But then it's, you know, such a, a nice thing for you to also see when they're adding value commercially as well. So when we did a really big round of um, sales hiring, I was really rooting for like the SDRs that we hired because I really wanted them to do well. And like, I felt like I was like, a key part of their journey as well so it looks good for them in their career progression but then also to the wider business and our CEO like you want to impress them with being able to spot the quality of hires because especially this time I know Joey and Jonathan all know as well like you put an advert out and you just get so many applicants because the the market is just crazy right now and it's been able to go through the applicants and find the ones that are right for the business and having that skill set and understanding of the wider business to be able to identify that and then it's not just like you found a good hire found a good candidate sorry you've actually found a good hire longer term um so I think it's crucial I think it's important and I think wrong hiring or having to rehire is a very expensive mistake to make right now um so this is a way that you can actually track it and and avoid it yeah i'm with you and i think yeah interesting uh point around uh the the difference in context when you're working agency and and working in-house and i certainly whenever I, i never slag off agencies i used to work agency on linkedin but if i ever mention a difference between in-house and agency i get a siege of attacks from uh, recruitment agencies on linkedin they really go for me but i think it's you know i certainly when i was working in agency i wasn't talking about quality of hire um i wasn't even talking about title hire i was talking about did i get a placement that's what that's the model that's the way that model works and that's how internally we're rewarded so it's not about the people it's about that model so i'm with you um i think uh, it, it, yeah it's just a, your your metrics and your idea of what good looks like changes when you go in house dramatically um joey what, what how do you define quality of hire how do you break it down yeah um i mean quite interesting topic i got mixed feelings i got to be honest with you and i love to hear everybody's uh, um, input on that one. I, I think there are several key, you know, points we we do consider internally. Um, so some technical knowledge and cultural alignment, I would say, motivation and commitment because these are the internal adaptability, growth potential. These are is very important. Um, strong work ethic. At the moment, it makes it so much different. Um, team collaboration, and I think these six different areas really made a difference in a quality hire because when you hire people is is it's not just about how good their cvs and how good they are with their skill set it's, it's, it's more like soft skill set and their adaptability and that makes it internally quality hire from my perspective but of course we need to see that how we can measure it around it the difference performance reviews their leaders are they good enough to really lead them to exceed, to exceed the expectation from the team? Uh, there's so much into it. But as I said, I got really, really lots of mixed feeling how to define the quality hire. But let's hear from others as well. <laughs> when you say mixed fe- feelings, Joe, do you think it's – we have we got have we set ourselves an impossible task in this virtual room? Is that what you're saying? It is. Uh, the, to me, it's more perception than you can really put anything on the paper – turn around and say, this is great hire. But how, how you define it? Because they've been there, like uh, Kathleen mentioned that, you were waiting for the probation period. Uh, you know, rebate is done and everything. And how do you know that person has been successful? You know, how does it work? It's, it's, it's really, I can't pinpoint how do you define it exactly, quality hire? Because the candidate could be awesome, really great, work ethics, cultural alignment, everything is good but maybe their manager not really good to understand their quality and that person couldn't perform. And then we let the person go or the person leaves. So how do you define equality in that situation? That is why I got some mixed feeling around it. Okay, cool. Okay. I mean, could, 
Is it simple? Could we could we look at? I mean, just just throwing this out there. Is quality high? If they're there in twelve months, is that a good measure? If they're still in that business in your business after twelve months, is that just top line? Very basic, but that was a good quality hire. Depends on the size of the business as well, I believe, because if you're at a really big enterprise business, a lot of people can coast. Um, mm. So they they can kind of hide. Here we're you know we're at headcount of. Um, just under 70 people and that there's nowhere to hide and I think the times that we're going through as well we we don't we're not looking to hire people that have the mentality of that's not my job we want to hire people that are better than us and that can see areas that we need to improve and I suppose quality of hire is different depending on the business it's different depending on the department and it's different depending on the manager so it's all about implementing training and having kind of structured processes but quite open as well so that it means something to everyone differently yeah with you okay jonathan talk to me how are you, how are you defining quality of hire yeah i i just uh, piggyback on katie's point i totally agree with that i think it's actually um at the root of it down to the organization itself to to understand what it wants to achieve like from its employees and by that i mean I've seen organizations that are perfectly happy with getting a ton of impact out of people for two years and then them leaving and they're comfortable with those attrition rates. And I've seen organizations where actually longevity is kind of key um, and consistent progression. So I think that's the first thing that you need to decide, like actually as a business, do you want to have high performers that knacker themselves out after two years and then leave, um, but you build a strong enough talent brand to repeat that process over and over again? Or do you want people that can be there for five years and show consistent progression through that time? And I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to that, to be completely honest with you. Um, I think actually quality of hire changes over time frames. So I think, as we've touched on before, quality of hire in the initial phases, i.e. hiring somebody and getting them through the interview process, is like how good they're interviewing and how much they role model our behaviours and our values, right? So that's a very short-term interview. I think then you've got your first six months or probation or whatever that period needs to be, where quality of hire is then like, how quickly can they add to the organization? How quickly can they get their head around something? And how quickly can they show evidence that they're making impact in some way, right? And I think impact in itself probably needs to be fine. And then I think there's longer term um, uh, quality of hire that you can measure, which is, I think, as Joey mentioned earlier, like progression over time, so growth potential. So you could look at things like performance reviews over time, you know, over the last three or four performance review cycles, have their, has their impact or their rating increased every time? Have they been promoted within that time? So I think there's so many different ways you can dissect it. And I actually think it benefits to have like those three different touch points to measure quality of hire to help build up that picture in your head, if that makes sense. You're you're in a pretty unique position in that you're you're working with so many different companies at once as a portfolio partner. Is there when you when you when you like oversee and look at look at all of them? Is there are there trends in how you're able to measure this, or is it completely different with each company? Yeah, I think earlier stages actually there is a lot of pressure on retention because you have to do more with less. So before your next raise round, say you're gearing up for a Series B, you actually you might have fifty people in the organisation at that point. And you can't really afford to lose a big chunk of those 50 people because they're kind of irreplaceable at that point. When you're a large organization, you're a thousand people plus, you can account for some attrition, right? And you can have some kind of succession planning. But when you're at an early stage, actually, there's a lot of pressure on founders to index for, uh, for retention. So like, is everybody happy? Uh, yes, is there growth potential for them? But can they just consider, can they consistently deliver, sorry, um, over the next period of six, six to 12 months to get us to that next raise round. And then, so it's a very short-termist view, actually. I think as you reach like um, hyperscale kind of, let's go from 100 people to five, to six to 700 people, things change and the parameters change and retention is probably less. And it's more around like acquisition. Let's just acquire as many people as we physically can over, over a period of time. Um, but I think that has its pitfalls as well. Okay, all right. Taking all that on board, we've got um, we've got a question. I will find the name of the person in a second who's put this up. Um, so, does it not all depend on the business objectives relating to the hire, on top of the personal perspective of the candidate who's been placed? Essentially, have they delivered what it what it is was is ongoing business objectives and even exceeded them? On top of it, if they feel they have personally developed, 
is that is that is that, is that what it is? Is this person who I'll name in a minute? Is they just have they just summed it all up? Caitlin. Um, yeah, I think it depends. Like I say, on the department. Um, I suppose sales as an example, it's really easy to see if someone's doing a good job. Are that outbound activity? Is it is it obvious? Are the results coming in the other end? But then you also have to assess them in other areas of the business. How do they work across other departments? You know, are they are they are their communication across their team? Um, is that effective? Um, that there's so many other things as opposed to just a definitive answer. Um, but I would I would say yeah, the business objectives are more clear in um, in certain departments. We're looking to implement something. Um, at Lunia, where we're going to introduce everyone's responsibilities and kind of KPIs alongside their contracts so that at any given time, everyone is aware of where they need to be and what they're working towards. And this works really well with um, the personal development plans that we have in place. There should be nobody at Lunio ever thinking, what what am I working towards? Where do I need to be? Where, where should I focus my attention on? Um, and this kind of plays a key part in quality of hire, um, that we're not just assessing people and they're not knowing that they're, I hate the word assessed anyway, but we're not assessing people and they're not aware of it. It's a complete two-way street. They know what they need to be doing and we know what we want from them. Is that a contract that's more focused on, are you, are you moving, sorry if I've misinterpreted, but is that a contract that's moving towards deliverables rather than time materials or, or, or an agreement with you and people who join the business is that is that what you mean or I misunderstood yeah that? so alongside everybody's contracts they'll have um a key list of their responsibilities you have them as part of your contract anyway which is sometimes a bit wishy-washy in, in a contract and it is just like the responsibilities that you put on the job ad which are sometimes worded quite pretty and quite nicely to attract candidates but this is going to be really clear from day one that everyone knows what they're going to work towards and this will change over time as we enter into um i, I suppose like different promotions and, and different job titles but it's just so that we're both aligned on the quality of hire and what quality looks like within your job role gotcha okay um this is tom gilchrist who, who's written this by the way joey would you would you make of tom's comment yeah, it makes sense. Definitely, it's, it's all about it. But again, uh, in the first six months or after three years, you know, it's, it's, it's about learning curve. Also, what I was thinking, we all talk about quality hire. And do we have the stage and tools and, and environment to be able to make those people have the quality environment to work for us so that is another question i always like to ask of course we got business objectives definitely we hire the best people because they're experienced and stuff but do we have enough you know uh tools and give the space and everything to be make sure they're also successful as well i mean according to this yeah i can definitely define that this is a yes i would say quality hire but there's so much we need to dig into it and see um, how much we can measure it is, is it from the first month, six months, like you said, 12 months, you know, is is or two years or three years is, is I don't know, because you need to train. Do we do proper onboarding? Do we explain our businesses? Do we give proper trainings before we think those kind of things and uh, to create a um, quality hire for the candidate? So we need also to reflect to ourselves that uh, that's my view very critical apologies for that <laughs> no no apologies needed joe joe what joe this metric that we're talking about today for you is it something that you're being perhaps challenged on asked about by the powers would be or is it is it a metric that's coming from i suppose the world we work in and we're using that to justify or i suppose use that strategically to influence decisions in the business well, it's, it's, it's both way. We try to create some kind of measurements. And um, I tell you, I'll give you an example from our previous um, uh, work. We try to create it like if they pass seven months or year contract in Holland, we got a totally different, that shown as a quality hire. On top of that, if they had a good performance review on that seven months period, that means is is 80% plus 20%, they will make it 100% um quality higher this is how did we look at it currently i'm trying to formulate it with the team and try to find out how can we define it because it's not just about us the business 
performance reviews, the feedbacks, it's not just managers, peers feedback, sub teams, still not 100% clear to be able to measure it. But, you know, I would say if they pass through the probation period or the first six months, uh, that means they decide to stay with us. <laughs> and to me, it's quality higher as a very candidate-driven market, the sector I'm in. So I would say um, these are the first things uh, for kind of like uh, key attributes for the hiring, uh, quality higher with that. Gotcha. Thanks, Joey. Got another, got a couple of comments coming through, actually. Um, Jonathan, is it not important to consider the impacts and costs of a poor quality hire? That is from uh, Martin Vanfield-Brown, who uh, put that comment in just after you, you finished up. Do you want to address that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's very important to, to consider the, the impacts and costs of a, of a poor quality hire. Um, I think you, you kind of have to define quality before you can define what poor looks like and what good looks like, though. Um, but but I think um, I think Caitlin mentioned this earlier. Now is a really critical time to avoid poor quality hires. So I think if your organisation is a state in a state of not growing but wanting to do what it has with its current population, its current resources, then I would probably spend more time looking at impacts of, uh, of, of cost support quality hires. Um, I think uh, companies can over-index on this though. And by that, I mean like um, it becomes almost like a fear metric. You know, oh, what if this hire becomes or is a poor quality hire? Maybe, and that, and that, I've actually seen that as a deterrent for hiring managers to not hire somebody at all. Um, so I think that's something to watch for. Um, but uh, so, so short answer is yes, I think this is really, really important. Uh, I think it, it, it's largely dependent on the stage that your company's at and whether they're in a period of fast growth, um, whether it's actually a period of like looking to retain and do what you have with what you have. Um, but uh, I'd love to hear from others on like, how would you even, how would you measure poor quality hire versus a good hire as well? Is it just direct opposites or something else? Let, well, let's throw that around, Caitlin. Well, what's what's maybe it's an easier question of a poor quality hire than a good quality hire. What 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 views the, the standout things for poor quality hire? Um, yeah, something that you you probably don't you just assume if they're no longer with the business that they was a poor quality hire, and we've done everything that we can to to protect our culture and protect our workforce in that in that aspect. Um, but then equally, somebody might you could take like a calculated risk on somebody as well so maybe throughout the um hiring process they you were 50 50 on the fence or you might have really liked them but the hiring manager wasn't completely convinced and it's about having that conversation to to really highlight them and that could quickly kind of like then turn their luck um but then sometimes it, you know people don't always work out um some people are really great at interviewing and getting a job and then the materials don't actually come out the other end um so, of course, it's important to consider the impact of it. I would, as opposed to rather considering the impact, I would consider how you would handle it as a business if a poor quality of hire came through your hiring process, how you would handle that and how you would quickly and effectively handle that so it doesn't disrupt your culture and any business objectives. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think... Uh... Yeah, I think I think it's worth you know worth just highlighting the obvious here as well is that um, there is no that, sorry every everybody you hire is a risk absolutely every single person your business hires is a risk and you all the best we can do is try and reduce that risk with 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 process and and inclusive an inclusive process and efficient process which, which we'll talk about in a minute but you can never nullify it um, and that's always there so there is always a risk I think it, find it interesting your point uh, Jonathan that. Some companies are so worried about making the wrong hire that they won't hire at all. And of course, that's you know, if you if you live by that, you, you're going to lead to extinction, aren't you? At some point, because that's just the way it goes. Um, okay, and then we've got a couple other comments here. So I feel that the quality of hire is a double-edged sword. It should be linked to the quality of the company recruitment from a new hire's perspective. Poor job descriptions, poor technology, and advancements can affect retention, which impacts a new hire's return 
on investment. Yeah, I'm with all that. And then we've got David Holden. I feel quality of hire is a very open-ended metric. I believe it's bespoke to the company level and department, which makes it fun to define. Um, we are having fun. Build off core metrics such as past probation, cost of hire, cultural alignment. Once you have something you're happy with, you can then look into the data of poor quality hires and see what went wrong there. Yep, intelligent uh, comment there, Daniel. Thank you very much. Um, let's move on. So uh, let's talk about how the let's talk about the the onboarding process and how that can impact the quality of hire. Um, Caitlin, let's go back to you. So how for you does does that impact the quality of hire and what aspects should be evaluated to make sure it's a successful experience, both in, both for the candidate's point of view and the company's point of view? So we have, um, we've had a look at some platforms that, that do measure quality of hire, that they measure a number of other things as well. Um, Starred was one of them that we looked at. Um, there was another one that I've forgotten the name of um it was really good but i think because the metric is quite new it what it was something that we could probably implement ourselves um to trial it first before actually investing in a new tech um it was just a lot of questionnaires which we can kind of automate ourselves it would be good if one of them um, was able to sync into our ats so that it was all stored alongside the candidate's profile um, that was one thing that I did ask, um, but I think they're in the process of of trying to integrate with it different ATSs. Um, but yeah, just kind of understanding, having meetings with your hiring managers to understand what good looks like to them, align this and make sure that it aligns with the um, what you was looking for in the assessment criteria of the, the hiring process because you can't switch it you can't say oh this is what we was looking for but now we're going to measure it measure the candidate and now they're an employee or something different so it's ensuring that it all aligns um providing training sessions to hiring managers i think is absolutely key um and just yeah being being quite open and understanding that it will change and it will change as you grow and scale as a business as well, what you look for in your early stages of growth is very different to what you will look for when you do get to those like series B onwards kind of conversations. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think it's important to highlight with the onboarding process that um, if the if you deliver a poor onboarding process to that candidate, then there's a high chance they may leave, uh, which, of course, then impacts your quality of hire. So they've left within the first three months. That's a bad quality of hire, isn't it? You have to take that into account, I guess, even if the candidate's amazing or not so good or whatnot. Um, Joey, what, what do you think about the onboarding process and how that can impact things? Yeah, it's crucial, really crucial. And and as one of my measure what we do is, is is we edit on our retention rate uh, retention rates is the onboarding because that experience counts and we always check their experiences after three days induction onboarding we make sure they got the, all the details they understand the system and everything because we just don't want to come down hello this is your laptop this is a great great phone there you go just start with it no we don't want to do that and it's it's it is is we see that from our ratios, that onboarding experience, how high quality is onboarding experience, how quality that person is going to stay with us and give that impression to others as well. So um, it's crucial, really, really crucial. We, we, we make sure uh, we also sit down. I, I got to tell you this. I mean, we also sit down and we go through the system. How does it work as well? And onboarding. How to set up the computer. I know it's very easy way to do it, but we make sure. You know, we, we care about them. We help them all the way through. And it's not just ourselves. Every sub-department comes in from all, all company. They introduce themselves, who they are, and just give them a very open conversation. If you need us, you know, we'll be there. It, it's a great way to welcoming people, and that will increase their, their motivation and making the right decision. For them. So, again, onboarding is crucial. Quality onboarding. With you. And, and Jonathan, I think performance evaluations can fall inside that onboarding thing. So I think onboarding thing, onboarding part of the of the conversation because um, it's about setting expectations, right, on both ends. And that, that, that that's a really, really key part of it. So I suppose how can they be structured, performance evaluations, that is, to, to provide meaningful in, insights both sides, which help with our quality of hire? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Paul. I think um, uh, 
a lot of companies forget that it's a 50-50, as in the onus is as much on the company um, for that candidate to be successful in their first six months as it is on the candidate themselves. And I think um, actually before even onboarding, a lot of companies don't do this, but you, you should set objective-based hiring. So basically share with all of the candidates it should even be on a job spec, like what does success look like in this role? What would you have achieved if you were successful in this role in the first six months, in the first 12 months? Because really, as a candidate, what you really want to know is, okay, what does good look like? What, what do I actually need to deliver for you to either promote me or give me a positive performance review, right? Um, and I think that's really, really important. So starting there, I think pre-onboarding is really important. So I feel like getting people geared up before they even get into the office on their first day is very important. And then I think that, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel, but like a really solid 30, 60, 90 day plan for um, uh, for all candidates that join. And to tag on to Caitlin's point is, uh, yeah, train all hiring managers so they're fully aware of basically how they can make sure that onboarding is as successful as possible. Because really, um, that period, that first three to six months that, that a candidate has just joined your company, that's where their motivation level should be at their highest, right? You should be really excited. It's like that honeymoon phase where you're kind of very excited to sink your teeth into something new. You can build up that as a, that excitement as a company all the way through that process, the interview process, the whole way through to their first day, right? And that's where you're really, I, I think you make or break a candidate's growth trajectory based on that onboarding period, that maybe up to six months period, right? So I would make sure that in 30 days, candidates are very clear or new employees I should say are very clear on what is expected of them in their first 30 days and it shouldn't be anything too heavy going to be completely honest with you I think a lot of companies think that people need to hit the ground running in their first 30 days that's quite a big ask really when you think of all the pressures on you as a new employee um, then 60 and 90 is those periods where I think you should start getting people involved in projects starting setting measurable deliverables as well so many companies I see are not very good at setting objectives. They'll just give them a rough idea of what needs to be done or a task or something along those lines. There is no measurable that they're given on what they need to deliver or what they need to move the needle on. So I think if you can make that really clear, then there is then there shouldn't be any excuses on the candidate side for why they can't deliver on those if it's as clear as possible. Um, if you don't make that clear, then I just... I, if you put yourself in the candidate's shoes, they're a bit like, what, what do I actually need to do in the first 90 days? Like, what is the expectation? Um, and if you're left feeling like that after 90 days, it doesn't bode well for the next three months, really, does it? So I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think from a, we've done a whole webinar on this a few months ago, also a few weeks ago in terms of onboarding, but it's it's a lot easier to get that onboarding piece wrong than it is to get it right. And and that pre-onboarding bit, you know, let's 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 imagine our candidates got a three month notice period. That three month that pre-onboarding bit is so important. Candidates really happy, they've got the job, the excitement levels up here, slightest thing goes wrong, that excitement level starts to dip and you start to lose their engagement. That continues into when they their first day of work if they're that they're not communicated with if they don't have those objectives set and you know we want to assess these people but yeah they need to know if they've done a good job people want purpose if they haven't got an objective how are they going to have that purpose you promised them in the interview process so 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 important um we've got a just a, com a question actually joey from fernanda who asked do you think it makes a difference having a, a virtual to an on-site onboarding which is which of course raises its own challenges um what, what do you think on that well, um, yeah, definitely makes some differences. But, um, you know, back in COVID, we had to do that. <laughs> and it worked out pretty good as well. I will always say onboarding should be on site, really. It's, it's just engagement, understanding environment, meeting with the people is always crucial for me. But again, if you create a really good, um, really good uh, onboarding session, you know, uh virtual that could also work as well i had to do some in us and in different countries as well it, it really works but i prefer the on-site will be better and if you don't have a choice you can create the same kind of structure on virtual as well it's, it's hard to differentiate personally on-site onboarding will be awesome yeah absolutely and i think you know i think 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's obviously some companies will be 100% remote, so they have to go uh, with virtual onboarding. But I think look, the, the fundamentals remain the same. Communication, uh, make the candidate feel important, make them feel valued. Um, yeah. And for me, number one, make sure somebody, a person, owns onboarding in your business. Because if everybody owns it, everyone's got to play a part. But if everyone owns it, no one owns it. So have that one person who's actually responsible for making sure all those boxes are ticked throughout. Um, moving on from onboarding... Um, Jonathan, how can organizations leverage data and analytics to make, well, to improve it and quality hire to make more informed TA decisions? Yeah, I think um, I'm a little bit data obsessed, so I'm biased here, but I think as soon as companies can, they should collect as much data as possible throughout this entire process. So, uh, Joey, you mentioned earlier about, you know, feedback from onboarding and how that correlates with retention or performance over time. I think that's a really big one. Um, I think you can collate and collect information on um, uh, performance at interview versus performance at first uh, performance review is a really, really interesting one. Uh, Caitlin said earlier that you get people that are really, really, really good interviewers and actually then they just don't really deliver much. It's a good way of hashing that out because I think you can use that information to cater or, or tailor, sorry, your interview process and improve it, right? If you've got an interview process that loads of people are acing and then they're not delivering something probably wrong with the process. Um, I think I would collect, as I said previously, performance review ratings over time. So maybe over the first, I'm an advocate for doing them every six months, but, but over the first three or four, um, getting an understanding of what their performance um, uh, scores are over those, that period of time. I also think you should probably look at different measurements for, for managers versus individual contributors as well. So I think uh, 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 like what performance looks like as a manager, as a good manager, is very different to an individual contributor. Um, and I think measuring those and having those clear in your head is, is a really, really important one as well. There is no one size fits all across those two different populations. And I would, I would exercise caution if that's the way that people are thinking. Um, and I, yeah, I'd look at retention rates. So maybe average tenure at the company versus all of those other metrics. There's lots of algorithms and equations that people do where it's like retention times something divided by like look at median time or median score or whatever it may be. You've not lost sure me. Necessarily, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure I believe in all of that. Um, and, yeah, I'm not going to start whiteboarding loads of algorithms, don't worry. But, uh, but I think, uh, I think collect, the main point here is collecting as much information as you can um, as quickly as possible. Because the more info you have, the more, yeah, the more insights you can pull from those. You can play around with those numbers, right? I guess we are all looking for that goodwill hunting style equation on the whiteboard with, uh, for, yeah. for this, but uh, I don't know if we're going to get it. Um, Caitlin, um, anything on the, on the data and analytics to improve that quality of hire piece do you want to add? Um, just kind of following on from Jonathan's point about um, also considering how the manager impacts that quality of hire and getting the best out of the contributor as well. So we have a bit of like a boomerang feedback culture. So as well as taking feedback from the manager on the individual, we take feedback from their team as well as to how they are managing, uh, which is crucial because the right manager and someone that's really proactive will get the best out of their team. But then sometimes when you promote people internally to managers, their onboarding as a manager isn't taken into consideration if they've never done the role before. So it's important to ensure that they are aligned with your values and also kind of geared up for the challenge of actually motivating and managing that team um so yeah i would say that's vital um to to also look at the data from your manager's performance as well how do you how are you doing that's an interesting point on the 360 feedback i'm absolutely for that how do you how do you uh how do you how do you do that what's the process for doing get i suppose getting the the feedback on the manager is it anonymous surveys go out or how, how do you guys do it yeah, so Beth, our head of people, I'm not going to take credit for this because it is all Beth. She is a champion for like radical candor and um, she has been running workshops with our SLT and, and heads of department to ensure that they're open and prepared to take that feedback and, and in the right, I guess, mindset um, to do so. And then she's like rolling out those conversations um, with the teams as well just to make sure that everyone's kind of open to giving the feedback um she is just on boarded um lattice if you've heard of lattice before um so that's a really big step in the right direction to to be able to to monitor that 
Yeah, I, I like the look of Lattice. I've had someone show me that. Um, it looks like a really simple, useful uh, tool for feedback and for recognition as well. Um, I yeah. definitely want to get get a bit of a bit better play around with that. Um, okay, um, Joey. So, what, what where do companies get it wrong when they're trying to measure quality of hire? Where, where, what are the pitfalls around this? Where, where, where do you see people doing it or companies doing? It? You think that's that's you, you go completely down the wrong street there. Yeah, like you said earlier, it's easy to make that wrong decisions. One of them is not having a proper onboarding, proper objectives, that person, and uh, nothing being set up that could start from the proper job description can go to uh, roles and responsibilities, um, team alignments, not having a buddy, not having a uh, you know real leader or manager to be able to guide you in a certain time, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And um, this can happen, and I hear it a lot, that can go wrong, and the motivation will go down, and that will definitely affect the performance. And then everybody will start to judge, and, and eventually retention rate will go up. These are the, There's so many examples I can give it to you. You're not having the proper... Um, the proper guidelines and tools to be able to not give it to them because they think you got the technical ability to do the job, but you don't, you forget that, you know, they also need some tools and guidance because knowledge is okay, but there's internal process as well. And if they don't know the internal process, you can fail so easily and you don't know how to move forward to it. So I, I would say the, if, if you don't give it the right tools and guidance and, um, and kind of like process map to them that can everything can go wrong and you cannot really define it this is quality or not quality higher there's so many of them <laughs> well, i'm with you and, and and jonathan following on from that um if we want to make sure that we're not biased we're fair we're inclusive is it a case of we need to be sitting down working out evaluation scorecards at the beginning of the year before we've even started to hire for these people or is there another way to do it particularly when we're trying to build that inclusive culture and get diverse talent through the door? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of a, a democratic approach to hiring. So getting several different opinions into what a good process should look like. I think you should have um, wherever possible, like a consistent scorecard that you're measuring against when you're interviewing candidates. Um, a lot of bias creeps in when, um, when a, it, well, in my experience, when you leave an interview process, that's so hugely open to subjective um, information. So there's a whole load of biases. The biggest one is like affinity bias, right? Oh, they went to the university I went to, or they lived, or they grew up near where I grew up or something. And then suddenly a candidate is on like, uh, yeah, they're at an, an immediate advantage to all the other candidates that we're with, right? Um, if, you, if you hold all of your interviews to the same standard and the same scorecards and make sure that they're all calibrated well, and this does take time, right? So the and, the immediate reaction you get from a lot of leaders and hiring managers is, well, we haven't really got time to do this. Well, they have to make time to do it, right? That's as simple as that, because if you don't make time, then the output is just not going to be any good. So um, so I think having a consistent approach to your interviewing, um, holding all candidates to the same standard and the same bar, um, you could do really easy, impactful things like uh, removing gender pronouns from feedback, from written feedback, um, People I know play a lot around with anonymizing CVs and things to remove stuff. I, I, you know, I'm not against that either. I think it's whatever works for the organization, but also is in the fairness for all of the candidates as well. And then I think from a performance review standpoint as well, you should treat that in the same way that you would say like a hiring committee. When a hiring decision is being made, um, I think it's down to the manager to raise the case for why somebody needs to be promoted and help to champion that evidence. And then for a, um, a committee of similar managers to be there, to be very clear on what the expectations are at that level and what the next level looks like and to have a, a considered conversation about it. Um, and I think if you can, the, the hard balance that you find is there's either lots of opinions in the room or one opinion in the room, right? And you need to find a happy medium between the two because one opinion will just mean rife bias if that person doesn't like the person you're talking to. Many opinions mean that you could be sat there for three hours talking about this case and get nowhere. Um, but I think if you have like clear metrics of what, what it takes to be successful in that role, then there shouldn't be any reason for arguing if there's clear evidence, right? And this also comes back to managers being hired well to be able to 
coach their their employees or their their direct reports to be able to put that evidence together and then for the managers to be able to present that evidence in a way that they know is going to help their case um bit of a waffly answer sorry but hopefully that makes sense we need good quality of hire managers to get a good quality of hire yes yeah, love it no there you go now there um <laughs> Caitlin, uh, anything to add that I suppose you, you're doing at Lunio, which is focused specifically on making sure that quality of hire metric, be it um, actual, actually written down or, or just that feel is, is unbiased, fair, inclusive? How, how are you doing it? Yeah, I think, I think it's just like part of our culture anyway. Like um, what, what somebody brings to the team, it might not be the same for for everyone i keep bringing it back to sales because it's our biggest department um but like one person that outbound might not be as um focused like doing like outbound calls as an example but they might be really really good at like writing really good like emails and, and engaging with um prospects that way so it's as a it is coming back to the manager again i guess like as a manager knowing each individual contributor's strengths and knowing that it's not just one size fits all, um, that would be what I would add. Um, we have a really big strive on like somebody being a culture ad. We don't want a team full of the same people. You know, we we want loads different and a, a diverse workforce in in every aspect of the word diverse. Um, so that would be the only thing that I would add. Is that cultural ad as important as anything, any other metric or any other, uh, I suppose, barometer of uh, recognition or, or, or rating for us? I'd say so, yeah. Definitely here because Lunio is a place where, like, I feel blessed to work here every day. Like, I genuinely do, like, feel so privileged because it's such a fantastic place to work. And they, they really look after you and you feel like you are on, like, the journey to success every day. So I think making sure that you bring your best self to work every day but also like sometimes you can and sometimes obviously you, you need to log off for a day but having it's just a two-way street isn't it like just the understanding side of it um so i would say the culture ad is one of the things that i look for the most in interviews as well as kind of the the experience and the skill set with you okay Final question then, I think. We've, we've covered a lot here. We haven't quite got the algorithm, but I think we've, we've gone through some really uh, good points here. Um, Joey, how could organisations balance this need for quality of hires with the pressures of filling vacancies quickly? And let's just, let's just remind ourselves here that in talent acquisition, we are in a very volatile job in talent acquisition. That's why when companies start hiring, we get hired quick and we get paid high salaries. When companies stop hiring, we, everyone gets you know, laid off. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very volatile. That's just the nature of the beast. So how can organisations and TA balance that need for quality hires with, that, with those pressures? Well, to be honest with you, I think intake meetings are the crucial. Intake meetings, I'm, I'm going a little bit deep on that one. To be able to align what you're looking for, you need to really work close with your hiring, uh, hiring managers, understand in and out everything. And I said it before uh, on other, uh, other um, uh, the podcast, it's not just about how many skill set, it's all about the, the, the team. Is about the product. Is about what expectations and what that person's gonna do over the next year. What is the grow option to be in that team? So having this alignment, which I like to call persona, create that persona, understanding exactly what you're looking for, then go hunt for it, because you know what you're looking for. Then you will focus on your sourcing or you know whatever agency they're looking for. Everybody alignment of what we're looking for, and that will really lead you to quality hire the candidate you're looking for otherwise you know just coming back coming back going back come back oh this is not the right profile that's not the right fit and you will have issues just focus on a solid an hour maybe two hours and weekly engagement with your hiring manager to understand your what you're looking for as a profile will lead you to quality hire simple as that Great advice, Joey. And Jonathan, you mentioned you've seen, you know, you've seen companies who are scared to go hiring because they're scared to make the wrong hire. So how, how do we get that balance? Yeah, I'd argue to go even earlier in the process than Joey's saying and say that TA should have a seat at the table for budgeting and hiring planning to begin with. I think a lot of uh, companies will 
say, oh, this is what we think we need from a resource perspective, hand it to the TA team and ask them to deliver. And actually, a lot of people that make those decisions aren't necessarily that well-educated. They might be, but they may not be on, okay, what types of roles deliver what? So what are the expectations at different levels? What's that going to cost us? Um, geographically, you know, where are we going to find those types of people? Um, and I think that can change that conversation enormously um, because what you'll often find is you'll have a leadership team that will turn around and say, okay, we need 50 people. This is the rough headcount, probably these types of roles, but chat to the VPs or the relevant head ofs, and then you can work through it. Um, and a lot of assumptions have been made to get to that point in my experience. So actually, I think you can involve TA or people or, or the, the people functions a lot earlier in that process to avoid quite a lot of that iteration which, and I'm sure Kate and Joey have seen this, it can take six months of going back and forth to change that hiring plan. It's a lot of time wasted. You can make 20, 30 hires in that time, right? So I think even earlier is, is better. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And it's a great point. Obviously, I suppose TA don't always have the have that choice themselves it's they, they need to be in a business where they are invited to that seat at the table but the, yeah ta should be part of the discussion around what the problem is they shouldn't just be told what the solution is and then go and get it um so i'm, I'm with you uh and caitlin a final review how, how how can we get this balance right between the pressures of working in talent acquisition needing to feel make feels and while still wanting to get this quality hired right yeah so i take a step back and look at the metrics that, that we focus on, which are time to hire, time to fill, and then quality of hire as well. So in order to get your, your quality of hire right, sometimes you need to understand that the time to hire and the time to fill metrics might yo-yo a little bit. So now there's a, there's a lot of people applying for jobs, but that doesn't mean that all those people are going to be relevant. So it might take you a little bit longer to find the right person. And it's avoiding rushing just to fill the vacancy because it's urgent. It's understanding your position in the market, your employer brand, the benefits you have to offer, um, and obviously the, the career progression and, and how good the job looks and how attractive it looks to the candidates. Um, so your time to your time to hire and your time to fill, your time to fill might go up a little bit as you do wait for the right person. But as long as your time to hire stays under 30 days, I like to keep it, and you manage to get that person through the process relatively quickly. That will also impact the quality of hire because they will feel really valued. It starts them off strong when they do join the business. But I guess it's understanding that sometimes you have to compromise on other metrics to ensure another metric is is flourishing. Um, so so that would be it, just to not not rush, and and even if something is urgent. Fantastic. Thanks, Kate. Some really good, tangible advice there. Appreciate it. Uh, and that's it for our quality of hire discussion. I hope we've uh, got something out of this. Um, I've certainly have. I've enjoyed this chat. Uh, I think we've given some really good advice over a really about a really difficult subject. So thank you to our speakers. Um, we're going to be having a little break from our webinar series now for a few weeks. The next one will be on the 8th of August, where we'll be talking about how to make a remote first culture work. We've got three businesses who are 100% remote. So if you're talking to your company, your, your boss is about whether it can work, having people in the office, outside the office, whatever, we're going to go through that. Uh, but apart from that, Jonathan, Caitlin, Joey, thank you so much for being a part of Talent and Growth. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks thank very you. much. Bye-bye.